We're not the kind of guys that grind at the club on a Wednesday, for sure. <laughs> we grind at the laptops. Hey, podcast listener. Even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Yeah, buddy. Happy Thursday morning. It's the Tropical MBA podcast. This is uh, the podcast. I'd say we're the business end of lifestyle business, or at least that's what I'd like us to be. Speaking of the business end, boss man, how are you doing? Doing good, buddy. Lots to talk about this week, man. A lot going on in the business. And what are we going to talk about this week? Churn? Brass tax, buddy. Yeah, we're getting into a topic that actually you introduced to our business. It's an academic topic, but we're going to try to talk about you know, precisely how we're applying these ideas to our small membership business. So this is an episode all about churn. We have a lot of resources on this one, including spreadsheets on how you can calculate churn, on how you can do a cohort analysis, and a lot of other blogs that we've gone to that are sort of the source material. We're going to try to interpret some of these things in the framework of a small business and to find what smarter people have to say about these things. Check out tropicalmba.com slash churn. Yeah, we're definitely not on the smarter end of the spectrum when it comes to churn yet, Dan, but we are we are getting ourselves <laughs> there. So, you know, when we sat down to kind of write this episode, I thought, oh man, I hope our contemporaries, I hope the people that we look up to, I hope they don't bash us for what we're about to talk about. So keep in mind, we're just learning about this stuff, but we are bringing it to you raw the way that we're using it in our business today. Yeah, and we're interested in getting into SaaS. We were talking about Valley Up a lot on the show. We're obviously running a membership website at dynamitecircle.com. So we're really interested in how these powerful concepts can help us improve those businesses. So we're going to jump right into it. First, we got just a few phone calls, Ian. Let's listen to them. Hey, guys. Dave McKeegan here from Greenback. I uh, just wanted to give you guys and your listeners a quick reminder that the FBAR deadline is quickly approaching. The deadline is Monday, June 30th, and there are no extensions for this. So uh, if you've got overseas bank accounts with over $10,000 in them, uh, be they personal or business, you've got to report that to the U.S. Treasury. Hope all is well. Thanks. Bye. Bottom line, thank you, David. The American government wants to know what you're up to. Make sure you tell them if you're an American citizen. This is becoming more of a big deal. Actually, in the Dynamite Circle this week, I read a story of somebody that is incorporating in Hong Kong as a U.S. citizen, and HSBC is sending them FACTA documents, told that they need to fill out these documents by the IRS. So as it turns out, IRS is all up in Hong Kong. So make sure you got your shit correct. So you know the difference between the FBAR and the FACTA, right? Well, I, I'm not by any means an expert on this, but FBAR is what you got to do every year to declare your foreign bank accounts, business or personal. If you got over 10 grand in one of them, you got to tell them about all of them. That's different from FACTA, which is basically the uh, heading under which the U.S. government is going around the world and getting banks and clients of those banks that are American citizens to basically tell them what's going on. So that's sort of a different thing. I've heard rumors out of Hong Kong, too, that people in the D.C. are having a hard time just opening up bank accounts altogether. We'll keep the beat on that and try to bring updates to the podcast as they come. But bottom line, your FBAR filings are due June 30th if you're an American citizen. Also, Ian, we've got a call from Bren concerning podcasts. Hey, what's up, guys? Quick question about posting podcasts and frequency. 
I'm going to be launching a podcast, and I'm taking a number of weeks and months to make sure that it's launched in a major way. I'm wondering what's the ideal frequency that you guys have found. I know you've been doing this forever, and you probably have looked at publishing multiple podcasts a week, two 20-minute episodes twice a week instead of a 30-minute episode once a week or an hour episode once a week or maybe even two one-hour episodes. Just wanted to know what your guys' thoughts were on frequency and length for podcasting and what you found to be the best. So can't thank you guys enough, man. You're doing an amazing thing for the world, and I don't think you guys get the kind of credit you deserve. So thank you, honestly, from the bottom of my heart. Talk to you guys soon. Hope you're having a good one. Hey, thanks for the call. Any chance to do some navel-gazing and talk shop, we will certainly take you up on. First off, I think it's hilarious that all of a sudden we are the guys that have been doing this forever. Yeah, if you're four years so. old, it's definitely forever. <laughs> we are the old men on the scene. You know, when I think about this stuff, Ian and I have never been real big launch characters. In some ways, me and you, Ian, we're both grinders. We're both slow and steady. Every day that you thought was going to be a launch just turns out to be the Wednesday kind of guys we're not the kind of guys that grind at the club on a wednesday for sure <laughs> we grind at the laptops but I, i'll say this i think it's important to find a marriage between the type of content that you're going to be producing and the type of rhythm that you approach an audience with it this is all a bit of an art so when you look at a great podcast like hardcore history it would be very difficult to put that show on a schedule um, because it depends on the history being right and the story being great. And sometimes that that can be defined more by the writing schedule than by, hey, every Friday morning, we're going to have a hardcore history. When you look at something like a Howard Stern or a John Lee Dumas or a Fresh Air interview formats, and it's more of, of a kind of an infotainment format, something that's sort of a, a, an Adam Carolla, I think daily makes a lot of sense there because you want someone that you can kind of enter into your life on a daily fashion. It is a good question, though, Dan, about like entertainment, too. I like look at the way that like a lot of these websites deliver information, too. Not always good information. For example, like TMZ, right? They have like 20 different celebrity updates every day because that's the kind of person that consumes that content, right? Yeah. Is it like constantly going back there, like hitting refresh, refresh? I think it totally depends on your audience and the kind of information that you're providing them. It relates to your stamina, too. You know, for us, like we can barely get one out a week. And like we've tried to promise ourselves, gosh, can you, Dan, I I mean, we've had this conversation so many times. It's like, what if we did two? What if we did two a week? You think we could do two a week? Yeah, we could do two a week for about about two weeks. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why we can't. The implicit format of this podcast is that we're practitioners who open up the mics and preach once a week. And so we wouldn't have anything to talk about three times a week because you just wouldn't do enough stuff. <laughs> it would be very boring. I mean, if you're interested in, in the very boring things that we do in our business, yeah, we could do it, but we're not going to. I think Brent's asking the right question that as a producer of content, this is the hard work is making a judgment about what's interesting and believing in what you believe is interesting and putting those things in front of people in good faith. And, and part of the reason why I think, Ian, we push ourselves to put out a show every week is I think that part of what's implicit in our, in our show here is the narrative of what me and you are up to. And so even if we don't have the best stuff to talk about every week, I think it's important that we flip on that mic and say, hey, we're still here. We're still grinding with everybody. We're still trying to push things forward and pull the community together. I don't think there's any right answer, Bren, but one of the big things that, you know, that changed our podcasting career, I will say, in retrospect, is when we decided to do it every week regardless. Having a, a deadline that I think made sense for the format of our show. It wasn't arbitrary. 
you know, if there's a narrative element of like what Dan and Ian are up to like this week, you know, this is true. Like I sat on a team call earlier this week and stared at churn spreadsheets until my brains exploded. So that's what we're talking about this week. It wasn't arbitrary that we selected every week. It was complementary to the format of the show. That said, having that deadline has been huge for us, boss man, because we work up to it every week. Yeah, generally uh, at the last minute we work up to it. I want to say one more thing about... um, It is Thursday. The podcast and... Yeah, and the... (laughs) In the podcast scene, and that's this. I think the podcasts that I've seen that have been the most successful in the last few years have not been a copy of any other successful podcast. So the most successful podcasts I've seen have either done a radically different model, which is very difficult to do, I think, but if you pull it off, you'll be successful maybe. The other successful podcasts have taken tidbits of other podcasts and kind of put them together and, and, and made a podcast. And I think in, in a way, that's what we've done, Dan. What I don't see being successful in the future, please stop doing them is these circle jerk podcasts where everybody has the same people on the podcast that's not going to be successful and i know i know you didn't solicit that feedback for me that's just me being angry about that so Ooh. that's all i have to say boss man rants if you want to rant at us tropicalmba.com slash voicemail we love your voice comments this is an audio program after all quick reminder Everything we're going to be talking about, we literally have at least 10 resource articles and a few spreadsheets to check out. So as you listen to this episode, you might want to check out tropicalmba.com slash churn. So let's just jump right into it before Bossman gets off on a rant about podcasting. I'm turning red over here, man. Let's go. All right, boss man, this one is called 10 Things to Consider About Churn. These are definitely things that we're just familiarizing ourselves with, and we're going to be taking action on them. We already have on quite a few of them. Um, Certainly have taken action on the giant complex spreadsheets that's required to do these analysis. And the first thing that we learned, number one, is watch out. Churn will sneak up on you. And and this is an interesting one. So if I were to go to you, Ian, and say 4% of your customers are going to churn every month, My first reaction would be like, wow, only 4% of your clients are leaving every month. That's great. But if you do the math on that, that means that 48%, in other words, half of your clients will be gone within a year. And that to me is sort of an incredible extrapolation of what seems like a pretty benign number at the beginning. And I think we had to face some harsh truths about our business when we really dug into these churn figures. Did we define what churn was? I was kind of daydreaming when we started this episode. (laughs) Does it make sense to define what it is real quick? Yeah, why don't you back up? You got Wikipedia handy over there? Yeah, through the magic of editing, I do. (laughs) All right, so the definition of churn rate is basically, in the broadest sense, from Wikipedia, it is a measure of the number of individuals or items moving out of a collective group over a specified period of time. So in other words, it's, it's your attrition rate. All businesses have this. You know, it's, it's a particular interest theoretically and mathematically in like membership and SaaS businesses. But this episode is going to apply to any, any business. You can do a churn analysis. How many of your clients are leaving on an annual on a biannual, on a monthly basis. And that's what we're doing here. And I think I think all good businesses measure this, Dan. Like you said, like this doesn't have to be a SaaS or a membership business. Like all good businesses measure churn. Absolutely. So I want to get back to your example, Dan. And you said our monthly churn rate is 4%, right? Or you can say our churn rate is 4%. Now, our monthly churn rate is not 4%. I'm not exactly sure. It changes per month. So we're going to talk about that. 
but as an example though and then you said 4 times 12 equals 48%. Yeah. So what the basic point you're making is like look on a monthly level it doesn't look like that bad when you extrapolate it over to yearly level it's pretty bad. And the other thing that your analysis I'm assuming took into account is that you don't bring in any new members. Yes. Okay, so one of the interesting equations that you can start to figure out with your churn rate and I got this from Joel over at Chaotic Flow. Really great resource, uh, math intensive. One day we sat down and we figured figured out the maximum number of people that we could have in the DC based on our current model. And I don't exactly remember what that number was, but there is a number in our business that's basically the ceiling at our current model. So it basically says if nothing changes in our business, this is the maximum number of people we will have in our business. And you can essentially calculate that. Is the implication then that the DC is not growing, it's not replacing the the 48% of the people that are leaving every year? These curves, it's like a snapshot, basically. Like, you can take snapshots of your business. The growth has to scale with the churn. So, like, if you have 10,000 members and 5,000 are going to leave by the end of the year, you have to have at least 5,000 more people come in. Correct. The interplay between growth and attrition is complex and fascinating. Yes. Because it might have taken you, like, many years to get that 10,000 members. But then if your churn rate stays at 4%, like half of them are going to be gone. So your growth rate needs to go up too. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like avoiding, it's being in like a pipe in a surfboard, you know? And you have to like make sure you get out there before the pipe crashes on your head. <laughs> right. Or you, you have to make sure that you got enough speed, right? To get out of the pipe before it crashes yeah. on you. Exactly. That's exactly Number right. Number two, your churn rate will be much less useful if you aren't creating cohorts. This is fascinating. So there's a bunch of different ways to create cohort. A cohort is basically any group of subscribers. So one way is that we've done this is by month. So here's how the people that signed up in July have behaved. You know, By the sixth month, here's the percentage of them that are still in. By the seventh month, here's the percentage. You could also do this by lead source or by pricing tier. And you should determine which cohorts are going to be important to your business. But here's why this is really powerful. Because you could look at an average attrition rate. Right? You could say the average day that people leave my membership is on day 100. And so then you could say, well, in order to take action, because that's what this is all about, right? We want to figure out how to provide more value to our clients and keep them around longer. You could say, well, I'm going to intervene on day 85 so that by day 100, they don't leave. The problem is you could have a huge group of people that are leaving on the first or second week due to confusion about your service or product. Right? So there's a smaller percentage of clients that are staying for a really long time, and they kind of create a weird average at 100. But if you were to intervene at 85, you would be missing all of the, the people that are killing the average at the very beginning. That's why this cohort analysis is really critical. So what I think you're saying, Dan, is uh, essentially that you know if you took the average of everybody in your product, that is a cohort. It's just a very large one. And the problem with it is that, like you said, you can't get specific details about it. So there's very specific information about the guy that clicked the green button and the girl that joined from the referral, you know, things like that. So you, I think what you want to do and what we started to do in our businesses is, is group people in these cohorts, right? Yes. And so you can track them. And that's, that's the very definition of churn rate, right? Is like they have to be in a specific group. And if your group is too big, then you can't get good information from it. Yeah, and that's actually, we made that mistake. So when we first did our churn rate analysis six months ago, the action plan that we had was incorrect for the problems that we were facing, which is basically that in our membership, a lot of people leave early when they find out that it wasn't 
precisely what they expected. But we have so many people that stay for so long that it tosses off the average. So that hypothetical that I put in earlier in the show, that's actually specifically from Dynamite Circle, is that we had this huge, this not huge, but an important group of people that are leaving early, and then a, a larger group of people that are staying very long. And so if we took the average for our intervention strategy, it would be, what we need to do is be addressing people that are confused by the product at the beginning rather than finding that average. So this is why cohorts are really important. So. Let's move on to the third point because we've got 10 of them, boss man. <laughs> collect the basics. What data do you need to collect? This is a housekeeping point, boss man. Um, we're getting our data from Google Analytics and PayPal. And also, I mean, there are some important things that might not be represented in this like lead source. If they're coming from personal referrals, that might not be part of your Google Analytics. So it's important to understand which cohorts are gonna be interesting to your business and start shoeboxing that data at the beginning even if you're not going to be doing the, obviously you're not going to be doing the churn analysis in the second or third month of your business. Yeah, ho hopefully you're not, but you might be. <laughs> you might be. <laughs> the easiest way to probably do it for a lot of people is based on time. So you can say, you know, these people came in in June, these people came in in July. And then you can also do it by, you know, these people came in on this referral button, this landing page, you know, it can get more complicated than that. You know, I think it's good to keep notes too. And this is bad for, for guys like you and me, Dan, who aren't very scientific a lot of times, but to keep notes. So like, what were we doing in July when all these people came in? Like, what were we talking about? Were we talking about GCBKK? Is that like why they joined? Did they leave right after GCBKK? You know, things like this. So like, talk about the notes of what was happening at the time when these people joined. And you can start to kind of identify the factors that may or may have led to their churn if they did churn. Yeah, there's a, there's a whole world of possible BS narratives that you can start to develop then around these stories of what they're doing and why they're doing. So yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting to test your assumptions with this stuff. Because I got to say, a lot of the assumptions that I had about the way people were behaving turned out to be Incorrect. It's always a, actually a joy to find that. It's cool when you, you feel like you've really learned something concrete about what people value. It's an opportunity to see, you know, put your money where your mouth is. If, if people care, maybe they're, they're willing to invest. And so it's cool to see that. Which brings us to our fourth point, which is to experiment. A quote from Patrick McKenzie, who's written a lot about SaaS and retention. Testing pricing can really move the needle in your business. And we're going to link to a few of Patrick's case studies where he's done this. That oftentimes, just increasing the price can be the 80-20 of all of this. and can have a much bigger impact than tweaking or improving your churn. And I think it's interesting just to like do the math on this. You know, of course, if you're charging 25% more on a monthly basis, you could radically increase your LVC. Your operational costs, by definition, are going to be lower dealing with less clients. So uh, this is also, I think, one concrete thing is to test long-term subscriptions. With a lot of products and memberships, people are going to get the most value at the beginning. Hopefully, that's not always going to be the case, but maybe just getting access to the product is going to be what they value the most. If that's the case, maybe giving them an annual option so that you can improve your lifetime value of a customer uh, is something worth doing. There's a couple of points here, Dan. One that you talked about just now, which is uh, changing the product, basically. So I think with churn, a lot of times, like to, to avoid it, you don't want to be screwed, right? So <laughs> you want to be able to have the flexibility to change either your marketing or your sales funnel or your product. If you have people in a product and you can't change that product, like if you're providing them with exactly what they want and they don't want anything else and they're churning at a rate that your business is going to tank, you're screwed. So what you're talking about here is actually changing the product, right, Dan? 
and saying like, okay, I'm going to give them at a different price point. So it's going to essentially increase or retain the lifetime value of what I would have extracted from that customer on the first model. I'm just going to change it to something else and I'm going to charge them more. So that's one way to kind of over overrun this churn problem potentially is to just change the product. But you got to have that kind of flexibility in your business to be able to do that. And your lifetime value of the customer may or may not change, but it does definitely put you on a different track or a different model. Absolutely. I mean, this stuff's endless. I'm sure we can talk about that point alone endlessly. And, and number five is related, which is premium product tiers can change everything. And again, we're going to reference a, a Patrick McKenzie thought here, which is one of the biggest mistakes people make with recurring subscriptions is that as they increase the value exponentially for clients, they increase the pricing linearly. So you could look at this with a classic hosting plan, boss man, where if you're going to provide a web hosting to an enterprise, the value you're giving them is exponential to the value you might be giving to a small business with one or two employees and one or two websites. But it's very common for entrepreneurs just to increase the pricing linearly. So you could look at this with DC, which is a mastermind product. It's not at a premium price. Um, if we were to offer a premium price, it wouldn't make sense to double it. It would make sense to come in and have a price at five or six times the annual price level and to deliver that product to a small fraction of the membership. But you could see how that could profoundly change the name of the game, right? You could take 5% of DCers and say, hey, we're going to do this premium version, but it's going to be 5000 annually. And you could essentially double the business overnight. And I think so if you're having issues with churn, it might make sense to look, look at the, the premium version of what your current product is. The power of this, I think, Dan, is that we're going to give you some equations. We're going to give you some resources. You're going to be able to calculate churn on your current model. Right? And then you're going to be able to make decisions like this. You're going to say, you know what? This business is going to fizzle out in six months. I can see that right now. Or you know what? I need to add a premium product to this. Let, let's keep churning at the rate we're churning. I'm fine with that. I don't want to mess with all this stuff to to in, improve my churn. What I want to do is like move to the more successful business model. And that means tripling my prices and doubling down. Yeah, Ian, I think what we're seeing you know, by doing the DC churn analysis is we're seeing a lot of opportunities to provide more value. I don't I'd love to do a higher price product, but I think what I'm inspired to do is to improve the current price tier product because I think it's really powerful for the members and I think it, it has some scale potential at its current rate. Yeah, yeah. Well, we can talk about maybe our shop a little bit more in the future because we're going to actually be implementing strategies based off of this stuff. So maybe it makes sense to kind of hold back on that a little bit. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, Dan, real quick, I think that one of the more powerful things of, of this model that we found out is at our current rate, what's the maximum number of members we can have? And B, it's really poised us to dig in and figure out why people are churning. <laughs> you know, it's like put that on our radar. And so now we're starting to have more of these conversations with people. Which leads me to number six. And hat tip to Justin Cook from the Empire Flippers for posting this great post in the DC. We're really uh, licking our own ice cream cone here, Ian. You like that? Like. <laughs> <laughs> right about this in the DC, talking about DC, DC, DC. Consider a customer win-back team. Justin was recounting an anecdote about uh, when he was back in his corporate days. He talked about putting together a customer win-back team that absolutely dominated. And it's one of these things that's like these business maxims, Ian, that you hear. Like, it's so much easier to get more business from the people who have already done business with you. We all nod our heads and say that's true. And then we read the next Richard Branson book. But how many of us actually have a customer win-back process? I don't have one. And I read that post from Justin. We don't have a customer win back process in either of our businesses. 
That's a system, systematized win-back process. That's a fail for us, and that's something that we're gonna be addressing this week. So thank you, Justin Cook. Number seven, Ian, this is a point from Andrew Chen, and we're gonna to link to his blog. He writes a lot of great things, primarily at more uh, consumer level SaaS stuff, but I still think it can be interesting for us at the small business level. Andrew says that retention is more important than virality. And he actually has a mathematical proof where he talks about this. So I think it's interesting. And basically at a high level, retention is more important than virality because if your users don't stick around, then they're not gonna be able to invite others to the product. If virality is important, then retention is king. Yes, I agree with that 100%, man. I think it's like, you know, focus on the customers that you have, right? I mean, like we've been saying that for like a long time. Like don't go out there and try and create some cheater strategy that has some viral blog post that, you know, 10 million people see the post and try and join the DC. It's like uh it's got to go viral. Yeah, like focus on the people <laughs> that are already in there. Those are your those are your homeboys and homegirls, you know? Treat them right. Let's talk about that then. Because Andrew was saying, and this is point number 8, that invitations upon onboarding are extremely effective. And so it follows from the first point, in terms of engagement, you're never really gonna have people more engaged. Now this could be debated, if you can, good on you. But people are really engaged in a sort of a systemic way or a necessary way when they're signing up for your product. Um, They're willing to hear instruction. They're willing to learn about the value that they're going to receive. They're willing to see the things that you have to show them. That's a, a potentially great moment to ask for them to consider if there's somebody else that they know that might want to be in the same position they're in, that might want to join up along with them. And I think that's an interesting strategy to think about. Of course, you see this with larger consumer apps like you know, with a Facebook or LinkedIn. Do you want to tell other people or invite other people that you're joining this network? Maybe they want to join the network as well. Yeah, I think that that's, uh, it kind of depends on the product, Dan. And I think like, I, you know, I was thinking about this point and it's like, when, when am I most likely to recommend my dentist? It's generally like after the work. It's not like after I've shown up to the reception's desk, right? Yes. <laughs> it's like, okay, I've had the work, it's holding up. You should go see these guys over here. And so, you know, I think about that, but then I also think like, well, it would be nice to have the referral card when I first step in because I'm not in the dentist's office anymore, right? Exactly. And I think this leads into our ninth point, which is a hat tip to Jacob Pull, who is also, I mean, you could definitely give him a boss man title as well. Jacob's definitely a boss man. He says, have a deliberate referral strategy. This is something, again, that we don't have in our business. I mean, we have a referral program, but we don't have a deliberate strategy. You know, when is the best time to ask your customers to consider if other people should be customers? And Jacob goes out to outlay a bunch of really cool strategies. In fact, we'll list some of his strategies at the blog, tropicalmba.com slash churn. I don't think we need to lay them out here. But I think the question to ask yourself is, do you have a deliberate referral strategy that hits people when it's most appropriate for them to consider these things that, you know, the dentist, of course, you want to get your teeth clean first. If you're doing a consumer SaaS app, that might be when they're signing up. You know, I'm joining an exciting network. I want to, the people that I know to whom this is relevant to join the network as well. Consider that deliberate referral strategy and implement it. I've had the pleasure this week of talking to lawyers, which is uh, always super exciting. Oy. But, you know, the three lawyers that I talked to this week, they were all on a referral basis. So, you know, super, super powerful stuff. Like, I don't think I would go to the internet and try and find a lawyer, right? Do you get the sense when you speak with lawyers that they wish they were entrepreneurs? Or are they like, oh, I'm so glad I'm not in the entrepreneurship boat? <laughs> well, you know what? I'll tell you this about lawyers. One of them quoted me $900 an hour. So if you're thinking about... <laughs> 
<laughs> if you're thinking about consulting and the consulting model, I think you need to consider being a lawyer because those rates are, are pretty impressive. All right. Finally, and this is an implementable point, hat tip to Patrick McKenzie once more. He, and to quote him, we are leaning on people smarter than us in order to analyze what, what's happening in our business in order to develop strategies for what to do. It turns out that the trial survivorship curve, and it, he calls, instead of conversion from trial onto software, he calls it survivorship rate, which I think is funny. It turns out the trial survivorship curve is ridiculously sensitive to the first few minutes of someone's experience with the software because 40 to 60% of customers will only ever use it once. I'm sure he knows this from eye tracking software, right? <laughs> that's, how, that's how they know this stuff right now. <laughs> Patrick has so many so many little useful tidbits of information. This harkens back and sort of sews it up or back to one of our earlier points, Ian, which is that it's really important to understand the moments of difficulty and confusion for your customers and to address them at the appropriate time. In other words, relevance is everything when it comes to lifecycle emails and addressing churn. I think in the case of how we might apply this, I think it's really important that we set the tone early on when people join the membership so that they fully understand how to get the value that they expected to get. So give them the tools so that they can realize that value upon entering the group. Agreed. All right. If you have any questions or advice for us or interesting resources about churn, we're going to do our best to make this a really great resource post. Everything we've referenced will be at tropicalmba.com slash churn. What a behemoth, Dan. I mean, really, this is like, I feel like we're at the tip of the iceberg here based on all these resources that we're going to put online. Like, I feel like we've just started to run some of the numbers on this stuff. But you know what I'm happy about, Dan, I guess, is that we've started to consider churn and how it impacts our business, really. Absolutely. Speaking of impacting our business, why don't we uh, play some Beats Boss, man? What do you got for rap and reviews this week? All right, so Dan, it looks like we've only got one review this week, and I'll read her P.S. before I introduce the song, and it says, uh, P.S., but I don't like rap music. Can I interest you in some cool jazz? Yes, you can, Rachel. Uh, This is my jazz. It's called Slick Rick, Children's Story. (laughs) I think it came out in, like, 1989, but this uh, Slick Rick was one of the pioneers in, in rap and storytelling rap. And uh, yeah, my jazz music. So thank you, Rachel. Five stars. My takeaway from this week's episode. This was last week's episode. Do one thing. Yep, totally get that, but I don't do it. Going back to focus. Thanks, Secret Weapon Dan. Ooh, I like that. And Boss Man Ian. Rachel from Scotland. Thank you, Rachel. Also, a hat tip to Damien Thompson, who famously shows up on this podcast occasionally. Mentioned another great podcast called Song Exploder. It's a really cool concept. Harkening back to Bren's question, sometimes just doesn't matter how often you put out your show. If the content's great, it's great. And this is a cool podcast where the auteur, I'd say, dissects songs with the people who wrote them. And they go to the mixing board and they show you the individual tracks. It's a really cool show. Check it out at Song Exploder. We got a great photo from Mihao saying (laughs) a photo a selfie from business class listening to this very podcast yes it is the cheapest most uh, unclassy way to fly in business class you can see all the listener photos at tropicalmba.com slash listeners 
A big shout to Tropical MBA alum and long-term listener David Heehemberger for launching his own podcast at WPCast.fm. His co-host is Doug. We know both of those guys. They're great guys. They know their WordPress. Definitely worth a subscribe And by the way, David always gets the best domain names. How about FatCatApps.com? I love the way he brands his projects. Yeah, way to go, David. Congrats. Finally, if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, you can do so at tropicalmba.com slash voicemail. Hey, boss man, and I hope that this episode didn't cause any churn in the listenership. Uh, we hope to see you again next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.